Hey listeners, my name is Elisha, the founder of the Witnesses Podcast. It's so beautiful to have you listening to our podcast. And I want you to know something that that means a whole lot to me. Thank you for tuning in. And one thing I love to tell all of our listeners is, it's not just about you listening, but listening to understand. Understanding is the most important thing. So important. So, you have to listen, learn, and practice. Thank you so very much and happy listening. Okay, so it's nice to meet you, Sylvia. Is that correct? Yes, yes, oh, Sylvia. Uh, okay, so introduce yourself to us, Sylvia. Let us know more about you. I'm Sylvia Worsham. I'm an international best-selling author of my book, Journey to Me, Trust the Wisdom of Change, among other collaborative projects I've been working on. Um, I'm also a speaker and a turning points coach. So what I do is I guide uh, professional and corporate women from a turning point towards their divine soul's purpose. Mm-hmm. So I'm a faith-based entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I live here in Austin, Texas. I'm a mom of two kids, a 17-year-old about to graduate high school and an eight-year-old second grader girl. Um, so I'm very happily married. I'm doing my job and fulfilling God's master plan for my life. And I'm having a great time doing it. That's a little bit about me, yeah. but I'm waiting to get more questions from you and we can yeah. dive deeper. Exactly. That's so beautiful. Okay, so let us begin with uh, what is your superpower? Tell us what your superpower is. <laughs> I think my superpower, and I do believe this, is my intuition. Yeah, I'm able to tune into it and listen for God's promptings in my heart and actually act on them in his timing, which is a very big superpower of mine and has led me to where I'm at today for that reason. Beautiful. Okay, so, all right. Um, how did you transition from corporate America to entrepreneur? That's a big question, <laughs> Elijah. That's a really big question. Okay. I think everybody wants to know. Well, yeah. part of my part of my background is that I grew up with um, a, a father who was a perfectionist and a high achiever, and which is they're great qualities to have when your motivation is love, but when your motivation is fear then that's a very bad start <laughs> because yeah. you don't feel enough and that's what i i believed to my core i did not feel enough to my father who was um who worked to be successful in this country he's mexican and when he came to this country he wanted to fulfill his his vision and his dream of becoming a medical doctor and so he did but with that comes long hours at work when you're fulfilling and trying to be successful and you're being driven to succeed and yeah. in, in, at that rate. And so as a little kid, I grew up watching that be modeled to me. So I become a perfectionist and a high achiever and I land in the prime breeding ground of sales, pharmaceutical sales. And I, and I land first in Roche Pharmaceuticals and then I transition over to Pfizer and I stay there for 12, 13 years. And the more I gave, the more corporate America wanted from me. And I was achieving not just success, I was achieving happiness in my mind. And I thought that my happiness was in my 
material things outside of myself. I didn't realize in my 20s that my happiness is already inside of me, but it was so blocked and darkened by the fear I carried inside of me that I couldn't see it. I couldn't find it. I couldn't see it. And then I marry fairly young and I marry the wrong person because I don't believe I'm beautiful enough to accept another marriage proposal. So I say yes, thinking he's my only guy out there and he's 12 years my senior and I stay with him for nine years and it's pretty loveless. It's a loveless marriage. We have a child together and then as a hurricane is landing near our home, he asked for a divorce. And I had just been promoted at Pfizer to what had been like four years of rejections. They told me, no, no, you don't, you cannot be promoted. You cannot be promoted. And finally I get promoted, but I'm in a territory and sales territory that was really doing very bad. And the senior vice president of Pfizer knew my name. <laughs> and said you have six months to turn this thing around and and this at the same time my husband's asking for a divorce so i'm facing all these responsibilities and i'm a very responsible person i learned that value early on in my life and i take it on and i it kicks my guilt and shame into high gear when i when he asks for a divorce and i start working 50 to 60 hour work weeks and i'm just stressed out big time. I have a four-year-old kid and I'm, I have a mortgage of like $2,000 that I have to, you know, be responsible for. Very, very high achiever. That was the background of this, right? And then when he asked for a divorce, I become a single mom and, and uh, for the next three years, I'm a single mother, but I do therapy and I try to find my fear, you know, and, and then I meet who would become my second husband. And I start to date him and he invites my son and I to um, Easter okay. uh, to Louisiana for a crawfish boil. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, he wants my son to meet his family. That must mean he wants to marry me. <laughs> so despite feeling this horrific pain in my chest every time I take a breath, um, I get on a plane and I meet him in Houston, Texas. I'm in South Texas. So Texas is fairly big and takes like seven hour drive from where Ooh. I'm at where Houston is, so I take a flight, right? Bad idea, <laughs> a very bad idea. Because before getting on the flight, I, I I have a, you know, my family is, they're all doctors. So I picked up the phone and talked to my brother and I said, I have this pain and I don't know what this is. And being a, a part of a medical family, usually they don't take us seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was like, well, I think it's this, you know, you yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're in great hills. Just take this for five days. The pain might get really bad. So just kind of realize that. And so that's what's in the back of my mind as I take this flight and I land and I just, I can barely reach down to get our bags underneath the seats. It's so painful, Elijah. I mean, it's horrible. And I walk down to meet my boyfriend, Donnie, and he takes one look at me and he says, you know what, instead of driving tonight, like, which was the original plan, that was actually a bad idea too. We're just gonna spend the night here in Houston, Texas. And for those that don't know, Houston is a big medical center. It's huge, it's world renowned. And so I land in this magical place and we spend the night and, and in the middle of the night, Elisha, I get jolted out of bed like, this pain is, it's like an elephant is pressing down on my chest. It is horrible. I couldn't take a breath. I, and I, and I heard a prompting and it was really persistent. And it was like, Sylvia, lean forward so you can breathe. 
And so I do, I lean forward for four hours. I don't call anybody, I just do it. And the next morning, my I call my brother and I, I think, you know, intuit, intuitively, I don't think this is what you think it is. I, I think something is very wrong. And so when I tell him I got on a flight, he's like, get to the emergency room like now. And so we do, we drive. It's very painful to even put on the seatbelt in the car. I, anything touching my chest, it's like it's like a, a fire prong on it. It's awful. And and we walk, I walk in an assistant. And here in the United States, what they do a lot of times is they, um, they escort you right back if you say you have chest pain, you know, and especially a woman, because usually heart disease and all that is really prevalent in women, but women never pay attention to it. They always send their men to the emergency room. They never put themselves there. And so I walk in and they do a, a like an x-ray of my lungs and um, a specialist walks in and he said, a woman in your condition shouldn't even be sitting up talking to me right now. I'm, I'm really shocked you didn't die last night. He goes, you have two very large pulmonary embolisms in your left lung, which tells me that they traveled through your heart, through the veins of your heart and failed to stop it, which is a miracle in itself because they're huge and they should have stopped your heart last night. So that was the pain that jolted me up. And so that, that prompting of leaning forward to breathe was at the moment that those clots were going through my heart. So see how that's miracle number one that occurs there. And um, so I, I get admitted, of course, <laughs> I don't leave <laughs> to Louisiana. I don't fulfill that dream, right? And my boyfriend's outside with my son and but that pales in comparison to what happens next when I get six doctors in my room and they say, we have worse news for you. And I, I'm thinking, wow, really? Like worse than this. Usually a pulmonary embolism usually kills, one of it usually kills people. I had multiple, like they were spread everywhere. And my liver, the reason why they wanted to take another scan of my abdomen was because my liver looked big. It looked enlarged and that was not normal for my size and for how healthy I was. So they thought it was a tumor. They thought it might be cancer. You know, it was something like that. Yeah. And so I get six doctors in my room and I'm thinking, yeah, this isn't good news. <laughs> so I'm about to get like, I call them the firing squad in my in my book. And and they said, you know, we, we have a real problem. We're running against time. Uh, this is a really serious condition that you have. This, there's this massive clot and it's clotting up the main vein of your body that gives blood to all your main organs. And it's putting a lot of pressure in your liver, which means that we're, we're running against time and, and you might lose your liver, which means that those three doctors on your right, they're the liver transplant team. You might be placed on a transplant list tonight. Like if it, and I'm sitting there like, what like i just cannot fathom oh. so i close my eyes and i think numbness just encircles me my mother is already in town my son's already back home okay. falling into god's arms because there's like nothing else i can do and unbeknownst to me they've already shared this information with my doctor or family that i had a 20 percent chance of surviving the night so I had an 80% chance of dying. And I didn't know that. I just surrendered and accepted God's will. Like immediately upon hearing that news, that's all I could fathom to do. 
And the next morning, a woman with a Catholic diocese walked in and said, um, you want to pray with me? And I said, oh, yeah, I need a miracle because I don't think doctors know what to do with me. And so we form a circle and we start saying the Our Father. And in the part where he says, I will be done, there's this enormous love that filled the whole room. And I just felt cradled by God in his loving arms. And I, in that moment, not only did I feel his love, I felt peace wash over me. And a knowing that I was okay, that he had heard my prayers and that he was granting me a second chance at life. And she leaves the room and my boyfriend, Donnie, turns to me and says, you felt them too, didn't you? I just, I couldn't even speak. I was like crying, mumbling, yes. And, but my face radiated peace, Elijah, for the first time in days. And uh, what really shocked the medical community was usually in a condition like that, uh, it leaves scars in your lungs because they're huge and holes in your lungs are not necessarily a good thing, right? Um, but I was totally clear as if I had never had disease in the first place. And they were completely shocked. But I already knew because he had already said it. So when you go through a near-death experience like that and three miracles within 72 hours, like the first one being the prompting, the second one, his visit, giving me the second chance, saying he'd heard my prayers, and the third and final is no long-term complications whatsoever. It changes you. <laughs> you don't look at life quite the same way anymore. Uh, I faced my biggest fear of dying, like head on, and I came out on the other side. And I wish I could tell you that immediately I left my job. That's not the way humans work. We're fallible. We're very fear-based. We have fear-based beliefs. And I hadn't become a coach yet, so I didn't know how my mind worked. I didn't realize I was motivated by my fear or my belief of not being enough. That doesn't come until like three years, no, not even three years later, five years later. But my boyfriend asked me to marry him. I moved to Austin, Texas. I give up this big, comfy corporate job at Pfizer for love, you know, and I start all over again, a different industry, still in sales, still in medical, but not pharmaceutical, medical devices. And then after a miscarriage, after we lose a baby, I decide to retire completely. I, and my husband's like, you know what? I'm earning a good living. You can take a break. Well, that small break was supposed to be for months, turned into three years. But during that time, my relationship with God shifted so dramatically after my surrender and acceptance that I began talking to him daily and forming a relationship with him. Um, and I would talk to him just like as normal and as natural as I'm speaking to you right now. Every day I talk to him, I'm writing and all of a sudden the prompting comes through very like hard for it. And it says call Bridget and Bridget had been my facilitator, mastermind facilitator with the John Maxwell team years and years before. I started taking personal growth development courses and all these things. And she had invited me to be part of the John Maxwell team as a speaker, coach, and trainer. And I had put it on the back burner because I was someone that was so responsible with a kid <clears throat> and getting married that I wanted medical insurance for my boy. And the only way my mind like captured that was you got to be in corporate America to have that to have those benefits. You can't do an entrepreneurial thing because that's not gonna give you the security and the certainty that you love and crave so much. So I said no to it, even though that was God's will for my life, even back then. But I was ignoring God's prompting then because I was afraid. 
But after you surrender and accept and you go through the major experience and turning point, that kind of takes a, a center seed, right? And so I call her and I accept God's prompting and I start the certification process and I become a speaker, coach and trainer. And then when the pandemic hits, another prompting comes in very persistent. And I, at this point, I've learned to act on the promptings quite quickly because it's yes. God's timing, not mine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, and I write my first book, Journey to Me, Trust the Wisdom of Change. So that's really the story, the back end story. Of, that was really long. I so apologize. But it's just to share with you the shift of like, here's a perfectionist high achiever who goes through this major turning point. It awakens her, right? She now shifts her relationship from believing in God to yeah. not just believing in him, now believing, trusting, and acting on his promptings in a timely manner. Ooh. And even though it's it's not easy for her she does it anyways and i don't know what's in front of me guy <laughs> just like <laughs> i'm like i'm just gonna act because every time i act yeah. he comes through for me abundantly mm. so why mm. wouldn't i act right that's dumb <laughs> <laughs> i get that seriously i get that okay so you mentioned something about um belief in god and trust i was about to ask you a question concerning that and belief versus trust in God. You get that? Yes. Okay. So Big difference. I think that's a huge difference. Because mm. everybody believes in God. Think about it. If you believe in Satan, you believe in God. Mm. Because without God, there's no Satan. No right? Satan. There's no reason for evil, right? There's no reason for him. Yeah. So you got to believe in God. But sometimes people are so angry with him that uh, they turn away or they sometimes... Um, have religion trauma, what I call religion trauma. And I had it as a Catholic. I was brought up Catholic. And in my first marriage, we would go to church every Sunday, but then I would witness and actually experience the hypocrisy of some churchgoers. And I made, and I was 24 at the time, so younger, obviously, I'm 48 now. I made, I made the, uh, the assumption that I think most people make that, and the association that God is to blame for that hypocrisy. And God is not to blame for that hypocrisy. Humans are, because humans are the hypocrites. You know, humans are the ones that are the judgmental ones. God is not judgmental. That's something we read and interpret it ourselves in our own minds. So I always tell people is like, there's a huge difference between believing in him and actually trusting him to take the reins of your life. And to do that, surrender is part of that equation. Yeah. And, and you surrender what you cannot control to him. Think about it. Like we want to control our circumstance. I know I did. When, when you're a perfectionist, control is your best friend. That's why you, that's why you're a perfectionist because you yeah. want to control your outcomes and your circumstances, but control much like perfectionism is an illusion. Your subconscious mind creates to make you feel secure, which is a very fundamental emotional need we have as human beings. So surrender is a big piece of it and acceptance. And those are big pieces of this model of like going from belief to actual trust. Yeah. Right. And trust also implies that you talk to him and you engage with him daily. Ooh, daily. Right. Because it's a, 
you don't trust someone you don't talk to, right? Yeah. Right? So to include him because he wants to be included. He doesn't, I don't think God cares which religion you, you subscribe to. As long as you give him relationship because that's what he wants. He wants relationship with his kids. And he will show up in the way he needs to show up for you to start that relationship with them. So sometimes people believe in universe. And he he did create the universe. So why wouldn't he show up as universe, right? For me, he shows up as a father because that's who I needed him to be. I didn't have a strong relationship with my dad. Uh, I mean, now I do. I didn't get that. So, so he showed up. So he showed up as a father for me because that's how I needed him to show up. But sometimes, like I said, he shows up as universe or he can show up as energy. And we're energetic human beings. We are the, what we're made of, right? Is energy. And so sometimes, and I know this is not a a very popular thing to say because people are very hardcore believers of their religion, but religion is not something he created per se. We created that as yeah. human beings. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we're the ones that form these institutions. Yeah. He didn't do that. Yeah. He went as a prophet and he came and he shared his message and he modeled as Jesus, how we were supposed to behave with one another. And that was the example. And then he left, right? He resurrected. And interestingly enough, in my own miraculous story, I found so interesting was I was saved on Easter Sunday morning, which is considered resurrection day for the Catholics. I found that so interesting because it was like he was saying, okay, you've lived this old life, Sylvia, but this is not the life I created you for. <laughs> You know, here's my master plan for you. You've been ignoring my master plan for 20 years. I let it go because, you know, I'm your dad and I, I was letting you learn on your own. But now it's time for you to step it up. <laughs> so here comes like a near-death experience. I hope you're ready. Did I wake you up? Are you awake now? Can I talk to you now? Do I have your attention? That's kind of how I saw him. And I'm like, gee, you really went all out, didn't you? So now I can see it like that. And that's the kind of relationship we have. A very joking back and forth banter. And that's how it occurred with the book too. Because when he told me, oh, you have to put scripture in your book. I'm like, you're kidding, right? Like I never even opened up the Bible. How am I supposed to do that? you're nuts I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this and he's like really I'm here with you you're okay I mean, you through, right like everything I've shared with you you've come through so this should be a piece of cake for you and I'm like great that's wonderful <laughs> so yeah everything has been kind of like a challenge of like you got this I'm right here you're, you're not alone you're, you're good you're good <laughs> That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. So, um, I don't know, question, and I'm so sure. yeah, I'm so eager to find answers for you. Okay, so the question is, how to um, drop your ego to live a life of joy? You get that? I can hear you. 
I couldn't hear the question. Okay, okay, thanks. How do you drop your ego to live a life of joy? Because oh, how do you let go of it? Okay, so that's a really good question. Uh, ego identity and soul identity are two uh, parts of cycles of transformation I discussed in my first book, Journey to Me. And ego identity is something that is formed through your modeling and through your past programs. And what I mean by modeling is what you saw as a little kid, like whoever raised you showed you their example and your mind, your, your emotional mind, which is your subconscious part is, has zero filter. So it took all the information in and formed these beliefs that you carried around. And you also had probably some childhood traumas or some issues that occur because we all go through pain at times in life, but our mind takes it all in and forms this self-image, which is the ego. The ego is the self-image. So ego is not necessarily a bad thing when it's formed through loving beliefs. Like when you believe yourself to be smart and worthy and gifted and whole, But when the, the truth is humans don't really see themselves that way, they're, they're a lot quicker to judge themselves, right? And to call themselves losers and not smart and not beautiful enough because of the experiences that they go through in life. So that's ego identity. So to let go of that, you gotta first understand what your beliefs, your core beliefs are made of. Are they fear-based or are they love-based? If they're fear-based, You know, there's ways to shift that is to incorporate the conscious mind. The conscious mind is comprised of, it's your thinking mind, it's yeah. your thoughts. Yeah. And we can interrupt our thoughts and call them what they are, which are lies that our mind has taken on as the truth. Like I, for a long time, believed I was not beautiful enough to be asked to be married again. So I accept the, the first proposal that comes my way without really being in love with that person, which is what you need in a good solid marriage. Yeah. But because my belief was that, and it stemmed from years of being bullied in high school by boys and girls, I had these beliefs that I was not beautiful enough and I was second choice to men and it was awful. And, and it creates, and you don't, you're not aware of these things, Elisha. That's what's really like, hardcore here like for people to understand this is not something that you're willingly doing to yourself you're not aware of it right and so that's why the process of coaching um is if you're if you have a lot of trauma it's best to seek help so that people who are professionals like therapists or coaches can actually help you identify what these belief systems are and shift them Because you can shift them. It's not so much uprooting them. It's like, if I'm not smart enough, well, look at your life and look at all the things you've done in your life. And is that really real or not? Or is that just a belief you've carried for a long time from something that happened as a kid? You know? And so you, you can shift those thoughts. And you do that through the form of affirmations. I am. Yeah, because when we say I am, we're... Remember, we have God inside of us, right? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are already whole and gifted and beautiful. We have immense gifts. He loves us this way. He sees us this way. What's? He's perfect. Why are we questioning that? By telling ourselves something the opposite of what he believes about us, 
right? So when you say I am, you're in essence seeing yourself and loving yourself as God loves you. Every time you say I am, and you do this daily. And when thoughts that are fear-based come along that tell you you can't do it or you're not enough or whatever, simply interrupt it and tell it no. And and have something in place to that that shift that mindset around and think about the times you have been smart. And what I would do is I'd make a list of of things like depending on the belief that you have about yourself. Like in my case, I'm not beautiful enough. Well, make a list of the times you felt beautiful and and how you saw yourself and how others have told you. And and remind yourself on the days that those thoughts emerge for whatever reason because you get triggered at times there's certain triggers and feelings that show up and and that's more of the coaching process without getting too much but that's how you start finding your joy because you start removing the armor of fear you've had surrounding you for so long you know some people say oh i have a wall built my walls go up (laughs) but you know it's the same thing it's walls of fear is all it is and you put that up you can take it down yeah, yeah. You're the one that programmed your mind. You can deprogram your mind and shift yeah. the programming of your mind yeah. completely within your control. If you're someone that loves to control your circumstances, great exercise for you. <laughs> control your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Control your thoughts. You know, this yeah. is great. Use use that skill set to good use. <laughs> yeah, correct, correct. Thank you so very much, Sylvia. Thank you so very much. That was a beautiful word. Because I love how you can answer those questions. That was a beautiful one. So, so um, insightful to the extent that anyone who is listening to be able to understand, they would grab it so well. So, keep it so good. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And God bless you. So, to round up with, would you like to give for listeners maybe any advice or anything at all that you would like us to round up with? Because I can advise to anyone listening. I really do love this opportunity to be on your podcast today because I want to remind everyone out there that you have an enormous light inside of you. Please allow it to be seen because as humanity, we really need your gifts for the betterment of the entire universe, of the entire world. And we're waiting on you to remove that armor of fear, to really work through your pain and seek his counsel in it because you're not alone in this journey you're never alone ever ever and i want you to know that you are whole you are gifted you are worthy already as it is and we need you to step it up you know and step into your light and into your power because you're beautiful in every way and i just want to also say that when you are grateful for even the hard lessons in life, it really starts to shift your perspective and your focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be grateful for what you've learned, for the journey you've been on, for the beautiful body you have, yeah. for everything you have in your life currently, for all the blessings, all the lessons, your family, your friends, all that, those are all gifts you've received. Yeah. Be grateful for them. And because when you are grateful, your heart opens up to receive more love. And when you are able to receive more love, you're able to give more love. And so really, I'm so grateful to be on your podcast today, Elijah. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a joyful time today. Same here. I enjoyed our conversation so very much. 
<laughs> okay, so is it possible maybe some other time to um, reschedule another time to bring you back on again? Is that possible? Would that be fine? Yeah, it'd be great. When, whenever it's good for your podcast and your audience, yeah. I'm here to be of service to yeah. you and to your audience. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful because I wouldn't lie to you. The audience, by the time this will be published live, they are going to learn so many beautiful things from our conversation. <laughs> I wouldn't lie to you. All right. Thank you so very much. And also, I would drop you a message. All right. On Podmatch, I would drop you a message. Is that fine? You get that? That's fine. All That's right. fine. Right. Yes, Thank that's you. great. Thank that's you. great. I'm gonna, I'm yeah. going to be looking forward to that. All right, all right, all right. Thank you so very much. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this incredible episode. Your support means the world to us, and we truly value you. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback is greatly appreciated.